What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of SB Nation. Michael, we have been inundated, deluged with emails from all across the world from the Open Floor Globe members. They've emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. They've got some zany questions this week. We're going to get to those in a minute. But Michael, the most pressing matter at hand in the basketball universe is going to take precedence, okay? And of course, I am talking about the NBA's possible idea of televising a horse tournament uh, involving numerous NBA players from around the league and around the country. So ESPN.com reports that there's this is sort of uh, in the brainstorming stage. They're trying to figure out how to do it. Obviously, players are stuck in isolation. They do not really have access to their team's gyms, but some players do have uh, home uh, you know, basketball setups, courts, or, or at least hoops. There's a nice piece in the Wall Street Journal by Ben Cohen talking about how Steph Curry actually had to build himself a basketball hoop because it had been weeks since he was shooting. Um, there's been some other pieces saying guys like Giannis or Chris Middleton don't have access to basketball hoops right now. That's a little bit concerning. Um, you know, as the as the CEO of Giannis Inc., maybe we can get somebody over there to fix that uh, in a hazmat suit. Um, but I digress, Michael. Let's take up this topic of horse by jumping all in with the very most important question. Have we officially reached the desperation stage uh, from the NBA standpoint? What do you think that this idea being floated out means for how the season uh, could or could not be salvaged? And then are you desperate enough to watch this thing, Michael? What do you think? Well, I thought that the desperation point was the 2K tournament that I guess is still going on that aired over the weekend um, with a bunch of NBA players playing video games, and I absolutely did not tune into that. So this feels even more desperate, if possible. Um, I am just not, I'm not pumped about it. I, I, I remember back in 2009 and in 2010 when they aired this, and I thought it was going to be an amazing idea because I love all the different events at All-Star Weekend. And I mean, even the league realized their mistake. They scrapped it after just two samples. And uh, it was basically just Kevin Durant hitting open threes and guys eventually missing five times and him winning both years. So I, I don't know what it would look like this year. And as you said, like not everybody has a court in their home or uh, even a hoop setup. You know, okay. I interviewed Michael. Stop right there. I have to sure, call you sure. out here. You've been coming on this podcast for months. Tell me Mm -hmm. about how much you love All-Star Weekend, every single event. I remember you were sitting there uh, courtside at the Rising Stars Challenge. I think you might have even been looking to, to try to get... Uh, you know, selfies uh, from the celebrity guys, you know, the, sure, yeah. the brothers, the the Carpenter brothers, what are they called? The the housemaking guys, um, you know, they always do the NBA celebrity game. I know, we all you know were what there. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you were there. He had a picture, one each on each of your shoulders. And it was kind of like a group photo, big smile on your face. I mean, you just love this stuff. How are you not getting into horse, man? I know you grew up playing horse back in the days when you were trying to dunk tennis balls. I mean, come on. Like, there's, there's a level of excitement here. I'm not just manufacturing this. No, horse in theory is terrific. Um, horse in actuality, especially if it's live, is really boring. There's a lot of downtime, as you know, as someone I'm sure you've played the game. 
And I mean, it's just it's guys thinking of what shot they're gonna take. So if they, if they can fast forward through all that, maybe it'll be, uh, maybe I'll have an appetite for it. But I just uh, my standards are extremely high for All Star Weekend events, and this I, I, it when it was killed, it, it was deservedly killed, and it just isn't. It isn't what you want, and so I, okay, I just... I, I've got two ways to say this. I have two okay. brainstorms. Tell me if you're on board after I say these, okay? Okay. First of all, it's going to be a package show. We're not doing it live. Uh, it's going to have to be put together. I'm envisioning like an extended play version of that NBA Inside Stuff show. You remember that with the Mod Rashad? Of course. Uh, so it's going to be similar to that. Obviously, a mod is, is going to have to check in from quarantine, but um, the players will be filmed constantly they will be encouraged to trash talk just like uh cj mccollum and damian lillard were sort of making fun of jamal murray for his indiscretions on instagram that level of trash (laughs) talk is going to be highly encouraged and they're all going to be mic'd up for the entire thing there's no off the record during the filming process okay that's number one but number two we're getting like Star Wars level CGI graphics with the with the cuts and the edits. You know, we're bringing in the top minds of the movie industry to kind of, you know, make this story and pull it together and cut out all the fat and just make it like a real quick hitting thing where maybe you can have like six or eight different people kind of competing at various points. But it's not really so much about, OK, like who's actually winning. It's more about like, OK, uh, it's just a fast moving uh, entertainment show with lots of trash talk, some cool shots, but no downtime. Uh, would that appeal to you in any way? That would be better if it were possible. Everything you're saying right now just doesn't seem feasible to me. Like, how are they? How are they doing that? It just it just doesn't seem like within the realm of uh, technology's capabilities. So. Uh, it's 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 it, I mean just going back to it like this is this is desperation the fact that we're even discussing horse right now uh, <laughs> okay, you can look. you can you you can go up on YouTube right now and watch those those events from 2009 and 2010 and it's it's literally I did before we recorded so I'm speaking as someone with it fresh in my mind and maybe you're more optimistic because you did not watch them but it's Kevin Durant shooting open threes with Rajon Rondo right behind him and it's just waiting for rondo to miss because katie never misses so it's like what are we even doing and those guys were right next to each other like playing horse over zoom what are we even doing okay michael obviously rondo probably lost and you had your heart uh broken and your feelings hurt from that yes. experience so, okay so let's just rally back around you know tatum's <laughs> not necessarily going to lose this tournament if he participates now in terms of the logistics you raise a good point here's my theory on that We're going to send three cameras. We're going to have one camera kind of set up wide angle as much as possible to show the player and the hoop, right? This is so that there can't be any hijinks. You know, you can't have, uh, you know, a ball go above the camera angle and all just, it it splashes through on the other side. Oh, wow, I made the shot. You know, and there's somebody like standing up on a banister just throwing the ball in or something like that. Um, You have to have a certain level of integrity. I think the second camera um, needs to be, on the player's body, preferably on his forehead, sort of like a miner's lantern. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we're seeing the player's viewpoint. And then the third one is maybe just like underneath the hoop or like closer to the hoop, just in case there's like some crazy layups or whatever else. Can't TNT send these players like 
uh, three cameras, tell them exactly where to like set it up on their hoop and then <laughs> have all these live streams go back to like a center office in Georgia where they, they figure it all out. Is this really that crazy? Uh, I'm comp I'm, I'm confused right now by you just telling me about it. And I mean, can you even imagine, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Nikola Jokic trying to set up these tripods in his home? Like what? It's just... It's well, you're you're bringing me back to reality quickly here, Michael, because basically what you're picturing is like te- Kevin Durant's brother with his iPhone live streaming Kevin shooting a three pointer. That's basically mm-hmm. what we're looking at. That's what we're gonna get. That's so depressing. Just even thinking about it, like, is that really the best a billion dollar industry can do? We can't have guys in hazmat suits figuring this thing out. Like, it, we're at the point where all stops need to be pulled out, right? Like, we're like we're saying way past desperation. I mean, it's gotten so bad. Devin Booker's playing video games on on TV, and he's not even playing with the Suns. You know, like he's he's trying that hard to win, so he doesn't even use his own team. Now, uh, you're sure that. There's no way to safely do this. Are you just kind of assuming that, Michael? I mean, open up your mind here just to the possibility. Like, if you were in charge of this, if you were the Mike Pence of this task force, are you really just going to give? Christ. Are you are you, are you going to give up so easily? I mean, I'm not a doctor. I, I think just yeah, schematically and technically speaking, it's going to be really tough to pull this off. And I think one of the biggest hangups is again just the fact that not all of the best players in the world or the best players that you would want to see do this even have a situation or an environment where they could pull it off. They don't have the home court and they don't have, uh, you know, some guys are playing or living in, in cold weather areas where they couldn't go out in the driveway. So it's just like, I want to know which players uh, would even be able to do something like this. And then we can kind of get into the conversation of whether or not it's worthwhile. Well, I'll say this. It does seem very, very coincidental, doesn't it, that this idea comes out like three days after Steph Curry builds a hoop, right? Mm Because I was watching on Instagram the other night, Steph Curry was golfing against Kent Bazemore. And I mean, that's a new low moment, I I would say for myself as a person watching two other people uh, do like (laughs) three-dimensional golfing, like hitting a ball against a screen, right? And Curry was not doing very well. I mean, he was stuck in the trees. I think he got like a nine at some point. I mean, it it was not entertaining and I pretty much checked out had they been shooting though and Steph was doing trick shots and stuff I probably would have stuck around for a a while longer it does kind of feel like maybe this idea is just going to be like kind of milking Steph because we know he's got the hoop so like how can we broadcast Steph shooting to as many people as possible right now let me ask you if you could build the dream field and put away all your cynicism Michael all right you are in charge of this task force and every player answers to you which guys do you want in this tournament? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, S- Steph just is on the tip of my tongue at the beginning. I mean, watching him with the, t- I mean, just thinking about the tunnel shots and his ridiculous range. Uh, I don't know how big his court is at his home. Uh, if it's, you know, if, if it gives him enough space to hit 35 footers regularly, because that's kind of the shot that he would need to win, I think, and just kind of access his greatest skills but I think Steph has to be in there I would love for Kyrie Irving to be in there I mean I don't know if you've ever seen his warm-up routine before games but it's basically just him playing horse against himself and winning so I I mean I I love Kyrie in a setup like this 
I, I have Damian Lillard on my list, but I kind of just feel like he's a replica of Steph. So Steph kind of brings the same dynamic that Dame would bring, although Dame would probably talk a little bit more trash and, and, and spice it up in that regard. Uh, and then from there, like I have James Harden. Uh, I just think he would come up with wild things, and he's always nifty with the footwork. Uh, and oh, yeah, and especially during pregame warm-ups. I mean, you're mentioning Kyrie. Harden's probably got the craziest pregame warm-ups of anyone. I mean, he's taking, like, sideways, runaway three-pointers where his Those, body yeah, yeah. is, like, going towards the uh, the baseline, and he's, like, almost heaving up the three-pointer as an afterthought as he's going. 360 spin shots between the legs, sidesteps, and all that stuff. Um yeah, I think that the Mount Rushmore here is is probably Steph, Harden, Lillard, and then Kyrie or Kevin Durant. Are you are you so scarred by that previous experience you don't want KD? No, I, I KD feels like a cheat code, just period. And he he kind of ruined the previous two events, even though uh, the competition. I went back and looked at it. The competition in his two horse events were Joe Johnson, OJ Mayo, Rondo, and Omri Caspi. So I think if you if you upped up the talent level, maybe it would be more interesting. But yeah, having KD in there would be nice. And I, I just want to throw out one more name who I think would actually win the whole thing that we have okay. not mentioned yet. Uh, Nikola Jokic. I, I think he would be fantastic in this. And I personally would just love to see the shots that he would come up with. Like, I feel like that guy daydreams about hitting left-handed hook shots from behind the backboard where the ball has to bounce like 17 times before it can go in. That's t- kind of like his ethos. So I would love Jokic to be in it as well. That's a great call. I had not thought about him at all. When you were listing that names, uh, those names from the previous tournament, now I understand why you're so down on this, Michael, and so depressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're forcing mm-hmm. us to watch Caspi and OJ Mayo, I mean, maybe just cancel the cable. Maybe just cut the cord at that point. <laughs> I mean, um, so I had only a couple other names uh, that you didn't mention, but I think we actually got through all of them. The one other guy who I watch a lot during pregame warmups who can do kind of tricky things uh, would be Patrick Beverly. He, I love guys who do the rainbow shots where they like heave like finger rolls up like 30 feet and they just like come down mm-hmm. and splash. That's one of his specialties, like the super high arcing floaters. And then another guy who I think would be sneaky and he's actually not that great of a shooter. So he'd probably lose pretty early, but John Morant is just creative and a little bit different. And he also has all these weird floaters that he likes to practice. And I feel like you know, if, if someone's going to break out a weird shot that actually trips up guys like Steph and Harden, it's going to be like an offhand, off-leg, 15-foot floater that like just no one would bother to practice. And maybe someone like John Morant has bothered to practice it. So uh, maybe he has a chance there. But the guys who I really want to see are in a different category, Michael. And I charged you with coming up with the names of the guys who would be the worst horse players. Um, and basically, the guys we would hate watch because they would be potentially so bad. And one of the players on that list, I think is an obvious one with Ben Simmons, but I want to ask you this. <laughs> I want to ask you this. So he's obviously afraid to shoot in front of people, right? If he's in an empty quarantine house where it's basically just like him and various Kardashians, right? Nobody else. Does he still have the public anxiety kick in because there's cameras and he knows people are watching on Instagram? Or is he calm because it's it's like an empty gym and he can shoot the three-pointers like he does during his off-season workouts videos? You know what I mean? Like, does mm-hmm. that extra buffer 
between him and the audience turn him into a marksman? What do you think? This is a great question. Uh, and I, I did have Ben Simmons as kind of the, the captain of my team of guys who would immediately lose at this game. Well, Michael, I know you said earlier you're not a doctor, but I hope you're a psychologist because that's where I'm going with this one. <laughs> I I don't know, man. I, I feel like if he were forced to do this, because I, if he were to participate, it would be like a forced situation. I mean, LeBron would have to call him up and be like, hey, you're, you're out of clutches roster if you don't do this. Um, I, I kind of think that... He, I could see him, you know, trying a corner three here and there, maybe a right-handed corner three. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll try a jump shot with his eyes closed. Like he'll up the difficulty level so that if he fails, he can just blame it on something like that. So he'll put a bandana over his face or something. Um, Otherwise, no, I don't. I just can't even imagine him being in an empty, even in an empty gym, taking these shots, even though we did see it in uh in the off season, but I'm I'm not convinced that that footage was was real. That might have been doctored. Okay, a guy who I think could actually lose to Ben Simmons in this tournament would be uh, probably one of your favorite players. His name is Marcus Smart. Now, I, I anecdotally I've only seen him warm up maybe a dozen times, but he loves to do like the sit on the bench trick shots where he's like trying to flip them up or the over the head three pointers from the corner. I swear to God, I've seen this guy attempt 200 trick shots, Michael, and I've never seen him make a single one. I think he's 0% uh, when I've watched him do the trick shots. I think that Marcus Smart has the potential to be the worst horse player of all time. I've called him an elite shot misser before. That definitely is true. And I think that him versus Simmons could be like Ali Frazier of the worst possible uh, horse tournament. What do you think? This is the most upset you have ever gotten me <laughs> since we've started doing this podcast. I'm about to rip my headphones off. No, this is this is this is a travesty. This is a blasphemous statement by you. Marcus Smart is a, a living legend. I didn't even think of him for this competition, but now that you brought his name up, he would be my choice to win it all. Uh, I, I, I can't even, I, I, I know you're trying to get under my skin with that pick right there, but you, you, you've succeeded, Ben. I've got another good one for you. Um, and this is not to troll you. Andre Drummond. Um, remember there was that brief period where he was like telling people that he was going to try to maybe turn into a stretch five there for a little bit. And I think this season he actually did shoot, um, a little bit better from outside. Not well, (laughs) (laughs) by a little bit better. I mean, 14.3% from the, Mm -hmm. from the three point line. Um, but it's not just the three-pointers that he can't hit, Michael. It's astonishing. So career, he's 37% from 3 to 10 feet. Not good. On mid-range shots, he's 28%. On long twos, he's actually 3%, Michael, on long twos during his career. Not very many, obviously. And then he's a 15% career three-point shooter. Um, he could be, I mean, he could be sort of maybe like, Wilt Chamberlain of horse, right? Just <laughs> the opposite, you know, like the worst horse competitor ever. Another guy I would throw in there maybe would be Hassan Whiteside. What do you think? Whiteside, yeah. Um, although, I mean, Whiteside's got that like weird push shot that sometimes, plus he takes his free throws from like a foot behind the line. I don't know if he still does that. Uh, so he would be just a quirky competitor. Uh, yeah, Drummond, right before the season ended, I mean, there were games where he was on the Cavs, uh, 
where in my notebook it was just like uh, a giant WTF because he would launch these threes with like 15 on the shot clock that just smashed against the backboard. Uh, But I will say, you know, I feel like Drummond is someone who has this type of uh, this type of self-confidence and self-belief that you need in horse. So I would actually say that he would be a welcome competitor. He wouldn't be afraid to try funky things. Uh, so I, I would like to see, I would welcome into him into the competition, even though, you know, if he were up against a legitimate three-point shooter, it would be very, it would be over very quickly. Yeah, that's one of those skills that you just pick up along the way after six seasons with the Pistons, right? It's like, look, if you have any shame about struggling in public or like, you know, any anxiety about (laughs) going on stage or, you know, anything about making getting made look a fool. If you play for the Pistons long enough, all that stuff just kind of gets beaten out of you. Um, So one other guy I forgot to mention on guys who could be good, though, is actually Zion. I've seen Zion hit like deeper than half court shots i've seen him hit sitting down three pointers from the bench with just a very little flick of the wrist um haven't heard a ton from him other than him donating money to basically the entire city of new orleans uh during this uh you know shutdown so i would love for him to get in on the action too in terms of other guys you think would be really bad michael what do you got uh i i mean just off the top of my head, I'm going with Russell Westbrook. That's got to be a captain here. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, we're talking about like, uh, or I just was mentioning confidence and how that could be your friend in a game like horse. Like I, the types of shots that Russell Westbrook would attempt, he would never, you know, when it's like your turn and you try to do something com- completely out of the blue and to to try to make this wild comeback or something like I, he would never make his first shot. So <laughs> it's just feel like I can't see him making another player get a letter, uh, which is a key part of victory in horse. So Westbrook is kind of just, you know, that's at the top of my head, a guy who would just really struggle in a competition like this. No, it's a great choice. I've actually got another idea. We could do a spinoff. Now I'm looking at the true shooting percentages of everybody this season from worst to best and the bottom 12 includes three Knicks, rj barrett kevin knox and alfred payton so what if we did a Knicks only competition it could go on for six hours again we'd have to really get into the editing side of things and like you know cutting this thing down because they much might not be able to hit anything and it's just like an inner squad scrimmage between payton knox and rj barrett for horse um how many fans do you think are watching that one? you think steve mills will check in on that one from wherever he is i I mean, if you were to start this, it would not end until we were all done with the quarantine. It would be like 2024. Uh, those guys would be trying to, you know, resume their playing careers, and they would have to. Uh, we'd have to figure something out there. But it's so funny that you just said three Knicks, and I was expecting you to say Julius Randle and his name it never even came out of your mouth. So, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Knicks of the 2019-20 season. Yeah, I mean, this thing would take longer than the Masters. There's no question. We've certainly ran th- run this into the ground, though. There's no doubt. But we had a follow-up question from Sean. He writes, I hope you guys are doing well. In New York City, I hear ambulances all day and night. You guys help me relax before bed and tune out the scary noises. Um, stay safe, Sean. He continues, I bet lots of NBA players have courts at home. Could there be a video dunk contest that could be broadcast online or on TNT? So... Sean is basically calling your bluff, Michael. He's saying there's more guys than we know have access to courts. He's hoping anyways. Um, Would you prefer an at-home dunk contest, or would that suffer the same fate 
as this horse contest, which you're clearly just completely out on. No, I, I you know, I, you know me, I love the dunk contest. This is not the venue for it. I think that for one, I think a dunk contest is something that requires a lot more physical strain on the body. And I mean, these guys are just not in shape right now to do it. So if we were to have a dunk contest and someone like, you know, rolled their ankle even (laughs) uh, in their own home. And then, you know, it would just get really uncomfortable and it would suck the air out of the room. Uh, But also like a dunk contest needs a crowd. It needs energy. You can't just do it by yourself or even with one camera operator in the room with you. It would just be just just be really awkward i i just could not see this being successful and i mean on that note i would just love a list of players who have a court in their home i think that would be a really cool thing to kind of peruse as we just kill time here yeah we can figure out other events for them to participate in to like Mm -hmm. keep us busy and happy yeah I mean, yeah, I can just see Dwayne Wade retweeting some guy's dunk and giving it a nine and everybody having a bunch of fake laughs on Twitter about it. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with it, Sean. It's no disrespect to your idea. Um, I actually kind of like the idea of horse a little bit better, if only because there is the trash talk element of horse and everybody's just kind of goofing around and hanging out and it just probably would feel like a little bit more like a, uh, you know, a group hangout session, almost like an Instagram live. Um, You know, again, we're desperate here. All right. On a lighter note, we got a question from Dan. He writes, I'm a high school teacher from the Toronto area who's in the middle of two weeks of government mandated self-isolation, and I will be teaching remotely for the next month. Your podcast has kept me sane while I clean, do laundry, and barbecue solemnly while staring into the distance. Outside of my girlfriend, it is strange to admit that I've probably heard your voices the most during this time. Michael, I'm sure you treasure that thought uh, of us influencing (laughs) Dan during his barbecuing. Dan continues, I have three teaching colleagues in my school board who are also massive NBA fans, and this week I I took to sending them a daily highlight tape of past players that we love as encouragement. We have enjoyed the camaraderie of these exchanges and remembering loved players of the past. He goes on to say he's been sending tapes of Baron Davis and Dan Marley, and he's trying to shoot for guys who maybe were like one-time All-Stars, but not like big-time superstar players. He's looking for the more obscure-type players, Michael. And then he asks us, I've got Eddie Jones lined up next, but I haven't decided upon anyone after that. Can you guys help me in planning some more top five fringe all-stars in the early uh, in the 90s and early 2000s uh, that I can send out to my colleagues, their YouTube tapes? So, Michael, do you have any recommendations for these teachers who love our voices up in Canada? What do you think? I don't... This is a really fun exercise i don't know if the my number one choice is a little too too much of a star too much of a big name for for what uh dan is looking for uh but larry bird (laughs) (laughs) i know you have michael jordan so be quiet over there um i actually don't okay well congratulations i i'm going with uh tim hardaway um good one and he is someone who, you know, when I was growing up, I was an aspiring point guard. I was not the tallest player. And I was obsessed with guys who just had handle and particularly who had a uh, ridiculous crossover. And Tim Hard- no, no one's crossover was better than Tim Hardaway's. And I mean, I could watch it for days. He'd go between the legs at full speed. He'd go between the legs and then quick cross back and then just blow by his man. Uh, I was watching all of these clips just to kind of refresh my memory. 
before we recorded this and Tim Hardaway was like unguardable before he blew out his knee on those early run TMC teams in the early 90s in Golden State. I mean, he was just a blur. Uh, you know, he, he th- those teams like in real time were a little bit before I was able to kind of process what I was watching on television. I was a bit too young. But I remember, you know, watching Hardaway when he was on the Miami Heat uh, later on in his career in his early 30s. And he still made a couple all-star teams then. And I would just, I would love those Heat teams, those Heat-Nick rivalry playoff series that had so much bad blood. I love rooting for Tim Hardaway in them, even though he wasn't as fast or as quick as he once was. He still had the crossover. And he'll just, he is just like highlights galore. So, I mean, Tim Hardaway, first and foremost, I, I think he is just a fantastic choice here. For sure. And I mean, his best years came on teams that were maybe good, but not great. So it's very likely that even though maybe he he made more all-star teams than some of the other names that uh, the teacher was asking for, it's quite possible that he got a forgotten history by a lot of people. Um, My favorite Tim Hardaway thing was the nickname for his crossover, man. UTEP Two-Step is one of the greatest nickname, you know, catchphrase things I've ever heard of. I've always been trying to come up with those catchphrases as a writer. And I feel like that one and like Joe barely cares for Joe uh, Barry Carroll. <laughs> yes. man, those will always just kind of haunt me as being like just 25% more creative than I am. And I just wish, you know, maybe that's going to be my white whale, right? I'm just chasing the ability to nickname something as, as well as that. Hardaway is great. I think you're onto something here with the point guards, the exciting point guards, Michael, because my mind went to two lower profile players than Tim Hardaway, but I wouldn't be surprised at all now if you're going to agree. What about Nick Van Exel and Robert Pack? Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. These are, yeah, you're right up my alley right now. These, I'm I'm actually very hurt that I didn't have them on my list. Uh, Both incredible. I mean, Robert Pack, what a underrated player lost to time i mean uh, deep he was cut, like a bowling ball yeah deep cut i mean he went around uh, a bunch of different teams i don't know if he actually has enough like worthwhile plays to even have a youtube reel i hope that he does but he just had crazy crazy bounce and he came in um as a rookie in 92 on a blazers team and it was a classic situation where the team was like gearing up for the finals. Drexler thought he was going to challenge Jordan. The starting five was locked in. All veterans, they played together forever. And here's this kid who can just freaking jump out of the gym, dunk on anyone. Uh, he's a rookie. And of course, there's not going to be any time for him, right? Like there's no room for that player. So he basically doesn't get any playing time. And the fan base the whole time, even as the team is like, you know, gearing up for this title run. There's a lot of, especially younger fans who are just like, put Pack in the game. And it's like, well, you've got two perennial all-stars in front of them. Like maybe they'll just let those guys do their thing. But, uh, you know, it's just a like a very universal fan feeling of like, here's this explosive player who's maybe doesn't have the coach's trust and, and doesn't get enough burn. Uh, he went on to play for all sorts of different teams, which I think is, is part of his appeal. I think uh, he endeared himself in many different environments, although he really wasn't that great of a player. Um, with Van Exel, though, he's a legitimate cult hero, you know, and I yes. think when you talk to a lot of current NBA players, you even see current NBA players wear his jerseys to games. Um, and in part because, you know, the Laker thing is uh, kind of a big deal. And I think that he was famous from that. He did have a few moments in the playoffs as well, but just super small, slippery, 
um, lefty, smooth shooting, uh, the type of guy where if he got hot, it's like your night is just going to be so, so long. Um, again, he bounced around multiple different places as well, had some, uh, you know, famous uh, stops in, in uh, you know, in his post-Lakers career. I think he made one all-star appearance, mm-hmm. but that's a guy I'm sure he's got a 15-minute YouTube reel that's really fun to watch. He also recently discovered iced coffee and tweeted about it, and it is like it broke the internet momentarily and was just an all-time moment on Twitter. So shout out to to, to Nick Van Exel right there. Um, yeah, he was on those just so he, like he played for the Lakers during such a weird time in Lakers history, where it was kind of like post like i think he came in the year after magic was forced into retirement yeah like if you go through it's like abdul jabbar hands a baton to magic who hands a baton <laughs> to nick van exel who hands a baton to Shaq, who hands a baton to kobe who hands a baton to lebron like one of those names doesn't quite belong right yeah so i mean that's awesome and just i mean as you said the two names that you said uh rod strickland popped into my head uh, oh, yeah. I, like, just he's kind of of this ilk, you know, a super underrated, super speedy, super crafty point guard. Um, I could watch Rod Strickland highlights for, I mean, until my eyes started to bleed. So that's another one for you, Dan. Well, as as long as we're just naming every Blazers point guard ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about Kenny Anderson? Uh, I have a, I, I, yes, I'll, I'll more than accept Kenny Anderson. Um, I have a personal, you know, a troubled past with Kenny just because oh, I, th- a I rivalry. thought, he was, I thought he was going to be, yeah, serious rivalry. I thought he was going to be, uh, kind of a savior for the Boston Celtics when he was traded, uh, there. I believe he was in the Chauncey Billups trade, just a really dark period in my childhood. So I don't. I mean, I know that his his he was a far more successful player in other stops earlier in his career, uh, and and a great college player as well. But like, I just I can't erase the memories of him in a Celtics uniform, unfortunately. You know, as we're just going down this list of kind of entertaining point guards, it's bringing me back even, and maybe this guy's a little too overqualified for his list. But he he mentioned Marley, KJ could really ball too, man. Kevin Johnson, I remember. You know, he was one of those guys where, like, when when the Bulls faced the Suns in the 93 finals, it was like, I kind of wanted Kevin Johnson to play well because I liked his his style of play so much. And, you know, he's gone on to some, you know, fairly different avenues after his post-playing career. But I think that he was, like, underrated explosive athlete, um, super quick and shifty off the dribble, just kind of a highlight waiting to happen. Um, The engine behind that team, overshadowed by Barkley, obviously, um, but you know, another guy where I'm sure he's got an awesome YouTube reel where he's just like posterizing guys who are six inches taller than him on a regular basis. Yeah. And then the last name I want to throw out there, um, since you've kind of used his, his likeness to compare to my volleyball stature, um, Steve oh. Francis, Steve Francis, I just want to give a quick shout out. I mean, he made, I don't know how many all-star teams maybe two maybe three uh and he was kind of after the early 2000s um was kind of when he came around in houston um but he's a good one too i mean one of the most over or i should say one of the most underrated dunk contest performances of all time which is just overshadowed because it was in 2000 with vince carter was was steve francis and the dunks that he had 
in that contest, uh, no one really talks about, but they were just ridiculous. I mean, he had serious bounce. No, I mean, his calves had rocket boosters. You know, I, mm-hmm. I remember seeing him early in his career in person, and for whatever reason, maybe my friend had good tickets or what, we were sitting real close up front at the arena and watching this guy going through warm-ups, it's like you start licking your lips. And then, you know, he gets uh, – he turns the corner and just hits that button. And, man, that guy could fly off the off the court. I mean, he just got up so quickly, like you're saying, uh, big-time bounce. Um, all right, good list, Michael. Well, all of our guys are basically the same type. But we got an email from David who had a completely different nominee. And he writes, Sam Perkins really had a crazy career. You guys should talk about it. <laughs> Is there a comparison for this guy? He's had a unique game for his time. I don't even know how to put him into context. And he goes on to describe Perkins as the first ever stretch big who's shooting more than 3.3 threes per game in 1994, a three-time NBA finalist with three different teams. He played a long long time all the way up until his 40th birthday. He was on, on the national title team with North Carolina alongside Michael Jordan and James Worthy. Um, he's going back to watch various YouTube plays, uh, where, you know, Perkins is on the Lakers team that plays the Bulls, um, in the finals. And then you fast forward all the way to 2000 and Sam Perkins is, uh, you know, playing on the Pacers, uh, against the Lakers. And he said, on top of all that, Sam Perkins had maybe a top 10 nickname being called big smooth. Sam Perkins really did have a wild career where you have to like measure it almost in eras as compared to like just taking it all in at once, right? I mean, there was like multiple subchapters to what he was up to. Do you have any real hot Sam Perkins takes, Michael? <laughs> no, I don't. But uh, I mean, I I did bring him up on our uh, our Hakeem. I guess what draft year was that? That was eighty four. Yeah, the eighty four yeah. draft uh, where he's selected fourth overall. Uh, after Michael Jordan and he never made an all-star team which is kind of a bummer and I guess you could say that he was a disappointment and definitely before his time as a guy who should have been more relegated to more of kind of a stretch role so he would have been perfect in today's league Um, I mean I have no like great memories of Sam Perkins prime because it was before my time but I do remember him on those Pacers teams in the early 2000s when he was just a mummy. And, uh, <laughs> like, and I also, like, I do remember also him on the, uh, that 96 Seattle team that went to the finals. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, with him, GP, Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp. Like, that, that team is, uh, that's a great, great basketball team um, that unfortunately fell to Michael Jordan. But, um yeah sam perkins uh I, I you know we're in a quarantine right now so we're talking about sam perkins and no, uh... <laughs> give, give him the love michael you don't have to throw him any shade well first of all i remember sam perkins because when jordan got to north carolina they didn't want to put him on the cover of sports illustrated because he was a freshman right and so basically they had to have the upperclassmen on or otherwise he, he wouldn't be able to get the attention so i remember hearing that in hindsight and resenting every upperclassman on North Carolina forever and just saying, come on, why are you guys in the, in Jordan's way? And of course it was Dean Smith's rule, not their fault, but that's how I first really kind of became aware of him. I think that when he was jacking all those threes for the Lakers in the early nineties, uh, I think he was viewed maybe as a little bit soft. I mean, I don't remember that explicitly, but I do 
feel like even like when Channing Fry was first really getting into that stuff in Portland, there was so much resistance to like the seven footer shooting high volume of threes. And oh, yeah. now we're talking about Sam Perkins doing that like 20 years previously. He wasn't really shooting uh, at a, a great clip either, um, you know, barely. So I think that was, um, you know, probably contributing to that. He was a little bit out of position. He was very, very talented with the basketball, though. I mean, he, he was a very good player. Um, there was a reason why he was drafted so high. It was a reason why he was such a big-time uh, high school recruit and, and college player. And I actually remember the first time I saw Carl Anthony Towns play, mm. I was like, holy cow, this is Sam Perkins except, like, excellent, right? Like, basically, <laughs> offensively, like, like, if you gave, like, Sam Perkins, like, boosters in every category on 2K – that's that's Carl Anthony Towns. Like that was like where my mind went first with him because I remember Towns just kind of blowing my mind with his body type. You know, he wasn't an Anthony Davis or a Kevin Durant type, but he wanted to be out there on the perimeter. And there's this whole thing: is Calipari going to have him down in the post and toughen him up, or is he going to let him shoot? And I saw Towns play at a really young age, like 16. Um, you know, and he still probably had a little bit of the baby fat at that point, but he was just unbelievably skilled. And I was like, man, like this guy, is this like big smooth 2.0 was, was sort of what I was thinking on that one. Um, Sam Perkins also really ran the gamut with hairstyles, um, mm. which he did not mention in his email. But uh, if you go back, you know, he had enough time to experiment. Let's just put it that way during his 20 year career uh, or 15, 16 year career. Uh, he, he went a lot of different directions. All right, Michael, that is enough on Sam Perkins. Let's take this question. It's a little theoretical from Alistair. He's in Melbourne, and he writes, In Australian rules football, after every game, the best three players on the ground are awarded votes in secret by the umpires and referees. They are given points, three, two, or one. And then the winner of the MVP equivalent is announced at the end of the year event based on the accumulation of all those votes along the way. There's a several-hour television special that airs the week before the final where the commissioner reads out all the votes for each game, why doesn't the NBA try something like this? Why do they still rely on the collective memory of 100 media members, most of whom probably haven't watched every game, instead of a more well-rounded game-by-game style of voting? It wouldn't have to be the referees, but surely it would be an easy task to have some accomplished people who could put in votes for every single game. It would add a lot more excitement than the current system, where we know the result in advance because the collective media all announces who they voted for in their respective outlets before the playoffs even start. It would also remove the issues of the media narrative, voter fatigue, and market size bias from the voting. Michael, it's a fascinating idea. I didn't know that they did this. Of course, here in America, we don't even know Australia is a country. Apologies, Alistair. We didn't even know you guys had your own sports. Um, no, I kid slightly. I didn't know this was a voting uh, situation but I like it. Don't they do that in soccer too, where it's like you're the man of the match and there's a big vote on who gets to be the MVP of the game? I love that. I kind of wish we had something like that too, but this is a little bit more formalized, building towards the ultimate MVP vote. Michael, what do you think? Could we put this into practice? Obviously, there's more games in an NBA schedule than there is in the Australian football, uh, Australian Rose Football League, but is it plausible? It, would it be better than what we've got? I think it's it's fascinating. As you said, um, I don't know, like, I don't think necessarily that our current system is particularly broken. If you just like go, we're just talking MVP. If you go through the past, however many MVP winners, um, 
it's not like the voters were egregiously incorrect any one particular season. Like, you know, there are here and there that are debatable, and you would argue for a different player over another one, but I just don't think that the the current system is broken um, enough for something like this to come in and replace it. And if, you know, we had this system in for this season... It's like Giannis and LeBron are still the two guys battling out at the top, no? Like, I, I just, I don't know, I don't know how it improves upon what we currently have. Well, I was wondering, would there be an unintended effect where, like, every time Anthony Davis goes off, LeBron gets bumped down a little bit? So would this system wind up favoring, like, Giannis and Luka Doncic, where they're basically, like, always the most important person on the court for their team? Um, May- yeah, maybe, yeah. Um I just also real quick, like I don't, I don't know how you can eliminate the bias from the equation. Like, regardless of who is voting, media members would still be tweeting about who should be the winner. Um, and you know, even in the event, like someone like Chris Middleton had a bunch of really great games. How would you separate that from the defense just being petrified of Giannis the whole time? Uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, what are the factors of the vote? for like a game-by-game game basis? Is it just statistical? I, I I really like the idea, and I think it's awesome that there's a sports league out there that is putting this in practice, but I don't know if it would actually eliminate some of the issues that the current system has in place for the NBA. One thing I'd say, Alistair, is I think this idea really would have helped the NBA like 15 or 20 years ago. I actually think that like the proliferation of the media that we talked about on the last episode has led to a real saturation coverage, especially of the media, uh, sorry, of the MVP voting, where like when I was at SI, I would write quarterly awards, mid-season awards, third quarter awards, and and uh, end of season awards. I'm actually going through that process as a voter at that time. It, it gave me an added level of discipline that I wouldn't have had if I just waited until the end of the season. And I think that a lot of times those columns were pretty widely read just because people are into it. And so there became this cycle where we were almost doing quarterly check-ins on these major races that's really just built and built. And now it seems like maybe there's sites out there that are even doing them weekly, like the MVP ladder that the uh, NBA was running for a while. So um, I think there is so much attention on that race in particular that going to to game by game wouldn't actually change that much you know i think we've gotten to the point where uh, we're not completely snubbing deserving candidates they're definitely on the radar at minimum Um, and the narrative stuff does come into play especially down the stretch Um, but you know i think that the main candidates are are being identified properly Uh, so yeah i don't know i think that we're probably not going to take up the australian uh, rules football approach to this michael but I wouldn't be against it. If they said, here's what we're going to do, and they'd say, every time you go to a game, I need you to vote on the top three players who are in it, I would be all in to volunteer to do that. I don't know about you. Yeah, and now that I'm just kind of thinking about it deeper, one of the big issues that the regular season has is players not playing in games, star players. So if they were serious about winning the MVP, like I, I feel like players like LeBron, for example, would think twice about taking a night off knowing that he was missing an opportunity to get a vote for the award. So I think that, that could actually point. be uh, a positive. 
It's a great point. Your load management of your MVP tally is directly correlated to your load management of your body, right? So if you want to go ahead and take 10 games off, you know, you can forget about those 10 points. And now Giannis is, uh, you know, surpassing you. There would need to be some adjustment for injuries, though, too, right? Because otherwise, you're just giving it to the healthiest player and or the healthiest superstar level guy. And that could be a problem. Um, anyway, great idea. Thank you for that that uh, you know, global insight, Alistair. We appreciate it. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. We've got another question here from another teacher. Drew writes, I'm a middle school teacher and girls basketball coach adjusting to this world on my back patio in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It feels like a lot of what I do right now is assigning educational activities to keep my kids sane. And as you put it, keep them mentally engaged. So here's an exercise for you. First of all, Drew, beautiful country down there uh, in New Mexico. I hope uh, every once in a while, maybe you're able to take a drive out to the... uh, to the, the, the beautiful rock landscapes and everything else. Here's his exercise, Michael. He wants us to create the no ring yet dream roster. You've got to build a five-man team starting lineup that has to be you know a real team, uh, complementary to each other, composed entirely of players who have not won a title yet, and chemistry and defense do matter in this exercise. Give me your team, Michael. Oh, we're just jumping in. Okay. Um, well, the emailer here, first of all, this idea is awesome. I'm, I, I love it. I spent a lot of time thinking through how I would get guys who complimented one another. And in Drew's email, you know, he picks his own team and it's pretty reputable. I like some of the names there, but he does not mention my first overall pick for this exercise. And I was kind of a little perplexed by that. And that is uh, James Harden. Uh James Harden would be my first pick, and there's a lot of really well, great, well, well. I, Michael, yeah, I know, I know. Drew I know. did tag on that little disclaimer about chemistry and defense mattering. Was that a subliminal shot by so, Drew at <laughs> you and at James Harden? What do you think? No, 100. Um, percent So I, I, the team that I would build would obviously, you know, mitigate some of Harden's weaknesses, particularly on the defensive end. But I, I, I just, in terms of pure talent and guys who haven't won the title, like, I'd go with Harden. Um, from there, like, I basically just stacked a bunch of two-way guys who, you know, some wings. I have Tatum, no surprise to you, and Paul George on my team. Uh, you know, two two-way wings who can create their own shot, uh, particularly behind the three-point line, which is increasingly important. 
um, really can handle the ball for their size, and they're just really good, you know, versatile defensive players, and they can even offer some rim protection. So those two are there. And then <laughs> the other two, I mean, I, I have Giannis and I have AD, and it's really no... Uh, I don't think that that'll send any shockwaves into anyone's head right now hearing that. Um, the Giannis pick is interesting just because he cannot space the floor, and one would assume that you know he would not have the ball in his hands a ton with a team like this. But I, I just like find myself envisioning like Harden, Giannis pick and rolls with AD Tatum and Paul George spreading out behind the three-point line and uh, teams trying to figure out how to slow that down. And you could even run it like two different ways. You could have Harden set the screen for Giannis and him be the ball handler and get really creative there. So I think that this team defensively would be impossible to score on. And uh, offensively, obviously, like it would just be a complete juggernaut. Yeah, your squad's amazing. I mean, did you give any consideration to guys like Embiid, or are you canceling him for the same reason that, that our emailer was canceling Harden? Like, you're just worried about, you know, potential chemistry issues. Embiid was my sixth man. Uh, last guy who, I mean, I had him when I initially put the team together. I actually had him over Giannis. And then I was kind of like... Giannis's defensive versatility is just a different kind of... Uh, I, I felt like with, with Embiid and AD on the team, it was just a bit... They would kind of be stepping on each other's toes a little too much. Uh, and so I swapped Giannis in for Embiid. But yeah, I mean, Embiid is, you know, obviously a force. And if you wanted to just start this exercise over and build around him, you could do that. But with the team that I have... They can play just extremely fast, and they have a bunch of three-point shooters, and the defense is not going to be compromised at all, but leaving someone like Embiid off of it. So, I mean, there's a couple other guys. Uh, Do you want to give your team first before I kind of get into my other, the guys that I've kind of scrapped? I do. I mean, we're all picking from the same basic grouping here, but what do you think about this look? Okay. Okay, and and tell me if you can kind of sense where I'm going with my roster. My backcourt is Luka Doncic and Paul George. And my front court is Zion, Giannis, and Joel Abid. What do you think? <laughs> so I, yeah, sure. That's fun. That'd be great. It would lose to my team, but that's fine. Um, Are you sure? Because I'm look, positive. I understand my team's a little <laughs> bit counter to like, you know, best practices, right? We got some serious spacing issues with the front court of Zion, Giannis, and Embiid. And maybe we need to flip uh, and beat out for Anthony Davis. I would think about that just to get a little bit more space in there. But if we're just saying like physical freak, size, length, overwhelming, trying to intimidate the opposition, um, I think your team might be just kind of scared off the court, Michael. Like I think they might show up, see my team, be like, you know, my my calf is hurting today. I got a little hamstring. You know, I need to just, ah, I got some cramps. I don't really want to play today when you see this group. No, this is incorrect. Uh, I think your your defense is just going to get destroyed. Uh, also, uh, not by a, who? I, everyone on my team, dude. My team is stacked. I've got Embiid and Giannis. I've got the two best defensive players in the league, arguably. I know, but you have Zion. And Paul George. You have Zion, who doesn't know where he is when he's on the floor, and you have Luca. Look, I mean, come on. Z- Zion is the dedicated cherry picker, and Luca is the lob thrower. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we get a defensive rebound, it's a dunk on the other end. You're going to have to leave one of your guys back in defense to protect against that Luca Zion half court connection, man. 
No, sure. Both of our teams are great, and I'm a little surprised that neither of us took uh, took Damian Lillard. That's kind of a right. Kind of right. A shot. So here, here's Drew. He emailed in. Here's his team: Lillard at point guard, Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic, power forwards Giannis, centers Anthony Davis, and he was also weighing uh, Jokic. So is it possible that Drew's team beats both of our teams? Uh, it's it's possible. I mean, what I tried to do is not have the Dame guy who, you know, at the end of a close game, you can just kind of hunt him. And there's just so many guys on their team that would be able to take advantage of that offensively. So that's the only weakness there. But Dame is obviously, you know, he's an MVP candidate this season and just an incredible basketball player. So I'm not going to, you know, savage him being on this team here. Um, but that was just kind of my own thought process and trying to put it together. Uh, my, my backup team real quick was, uh, was, was James Harden, Russell Westbrook, PJ Tucker, Robert Covington, and Eric Gordon, but I decided to kind of switch it up. Oh, unbelievable. (laughs) Let me ask you this, Michael, if, if the Celtics could trade their starting five for the rock starting five right now, would you do it? Absolutely not. I would, (laughs) no, I would not do that. So why don't you just pick all the Celtics for your backup team on this thing, Ben? I mean, none of those guys have won anything. I, you, you're really getting sassy with me today, Ben. I mean, you first, you, you come at Marcus Smart in the horse competition, and you're coming at the Celtics starting five. I just, I can't stand for it. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to give you one here, okay? Ross writes in, I paused the pod after listening a couple weeks ago, right after Michael said that Michael Jordan's spectacular move layup in the 1991 finals against the Lakers is overrated. Ross goes, I could not agree more. I love Michael Jordan. He has so many iconic moments that are far better than that layup. The inside fake on Starks and Oakley, then he destroyed Ewing with the baseline dunk, is way better than the spectacular move. The shot was better against Cleveland. The shrug against the Blazers was better. The spectacular move layup is wildly overblown considering how much else Michael Jordan did on the court. So, Michael, here you go. You found one guy in the world to agree with you, so congratulations. Um, do you want to take a victory lap, or do you have any other thoughts about that move before I defend its honor? No, I mean, I've let my my opinion be known. Ross writes a, a wonderful email here. I'm sure you got dozens of other ones that you're not reading to the people, which is just shame on you. Um I mean, anytime you're a player who whose last real meaningful shot was a crossover dribble where you made the guy fall over and then you won the championship with a jumper, uh, like just this layup, it just pales in comparison. I, I just come on, man. Okay, you know so it's look, true. Here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Like, of course, when you've got such a deep catalog of masterpieces, any individual one that's not a top five one is going to look not as good as those top five, right? I mean, that's like, we have to say, was this a great move for basketball or was this a great move for Jordan? It's slightly different, right? Like if you go into a museum, <laughs> you can see a great painting and it's not as good as all the Da Vinci's, right? But it's still a great painting. And when you go look at Da Vinci's, He's got some that are going to be better than others, but it was still excellent. And I do think the important thing about the spectacular move, and I I agree somewhat with what you guys are saying in terms of like, if you had to rank them, would it be top five? Probably not. Um, But it was so important. He's coming off finally taking care of the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. They basically celebrated that series win like it was the title because it had taken them multiple years. They had got onto this crazy like off-season workout routine. Everybody's lifting more weight so they could deal with the, uh, you know, the the bad boys and all that. They finally get through. 
they make it to the finals where they're basically assured they're going to win and they drop game one. And it's like, what? And it's not like panic time. Nobody's freaking out. But all those old questions for Jordan of can he win the big one? Is he a team player? Does he get in everybody's way? Are now kind of coming back to the surface. And he's never won. He's seven years deep into his career. He comes into that game too, and they just absolutely annihilate the Lakers. It was that one of those first examples of Jordan just saying, look, I'm not going to lose. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. I'm taking this over. And he's really doing it on the high level of the NBA Finals for the first time. So when he goes to that layup, it's not just about that two-point layup. It's about him saying, you know what? I am better than everyone else on the earth right now. I'm going to do some unnecessary midair action just to show you that I can. Eat it up. Love it. You know, and everybody watch it. And I think that you know, it's not like that was the crowning achievement of the entire series, but that game turned the entire series. I mean, they, they never looked back after that game too. It was just basically over from that moment on. And that's why I do think that that move has a particular place in like, you know, Jordan's overall catalog of being very important. Again, not as spectacular as, as training the shot over Elo, not as spectacular as, you know, the, the love tap to Brian Russell's butt that sent him flying 20 feet down the court in Utah or anything else. Uh, but it deserves to be respected far more than it has been uh, by you and Ross, Michael. I have a quick, real quick follow-up question for you, Ben. Do you know who was the player who was trying to defend this move on the Lakers at the time? Oh, was it Sam Perkins? It was Sam Perkins. So you win See? that trivia round, yeah. No, Michael uh, made some comment about how he really thought it was going to get blocked by Sam Perkins. And uh, you know that just adds to the legend because we knew he was lying when he said that. All right. <laughs> we got another question here from Nicholas. He's writing in from the cold French-speaking province of Quebec, Canada. He says, I was just listening to your episode starting with the two truths and a lie game, which Michael absolutely destroyed me. And he says, I was very happy to learn that Ben went to Montessori school as a young boy. I happen to be a Montessori school teacher here in Quebec City, teaching lower elementary children. As you can expect, how exactly to manage education during this pandemic is a problem that is constantly evolving and, and talked about since the school closed three weeks ago. We're going to be out for at least another month per the government's orders. Uh, anyway, now I have to know whether or not you stayed at Montessori for the entirety of your elementary school or not. Nicholas, this is a pretty uh, deep cut question that probably interests about five people, but I will answer it anyways. I only went there for preschool. I went to public school the entire rest of the way. I did have a brother who went to uh, Montessori school through uh, all the way through middle school and really enjoyed it. Michael, have you ever been to Montessori school? I did not know what Montessori school was until I read this question. And so I, I did a little research and uh, Maria Montessori received a total of six nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize in a three-year period, 1949, 1950, and 1951, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of education. So clearly she, she wait, knew what wait, she wait, was did, doing. Did she win? She, I don't think she ever won, no. Oh, so she's snubbed. Wow, yeah. she's, got a, she's got a worse finals record than LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's hilarious. Uh, I highly recommend it. If any people have kids out there, there's a Montessori school in your neighborhood, consider it. I mean, they go above and beyond. It's outside the box learning. It's not traditional. Um, I think it was formative for my development. And, and they kind of encourage you to follow your interests and your passions. And certainly, um, you know, tearing down basketball rims in preschool has led directly to my uh, high-profile career as an NBA podcaster. So I, I thank them for that. Uh, Michael, here's one for you. Leo writes, 
With a fellow basketball, volleyball, crossover, high school superstar, I can't say enough about Michael the Podpina's addition to the show. So Leo himself is a, is a uh, basketball and, and volleyball high school star. So he's really identifying with you, Michael. You're reaching the masses. He says, in short, thanks for the awesome discussion, the break from the stress of the world, and fair criticism of the game at large. It helps keep us all sane as we try not to go stir crazy in this time. With that being said... During these isolated social distancing times, many people turn to brain-engaging activities and hobbies like puzzles, video games, board games, instruments, and of course, building Lego. I started watching Lego Masters on Fox, hosted by Will Arnett recently. As I watched, I was shot straight back to my childhood of being a young Lego architect, never sticking to the script and letting my creative juices flow through the bricks. I dug up an old box in the garage, dumped them on the floor, and got to work. Suffice it to say, my Frankenstein creation paled in comparison to the behemoth masterpieces that are on the show. Not that I was surprised, given my resources compared to Fox, uh, but still, I got the urge to bulk up my collection, only to be reminded and dismayed at the astronomical prices of plastic bricks. I know that Ben has mentioned in the past that he's an average, uh, avid brickhead, so this is for him. Ben, is Lego only for the elite aristocrats and only geared towards the upper class? Those who can't afford the name brand bricks to create are left to their own devices or degrade knockoffs. Putting this complete class division aside, how do we as fellow brickheads bridge the divide and flatten the curve of Lego and uh, proliferate to the working class and those of us without an MBA max contract? My suggestion, make an amendment to the COVID-19 stimulus bill to give all people not only $1,200, but also $1,200 worth of Lego bricks uh, that would help boost our infrastructure. So, Michael, uh, do you believe that the United States Senate and House <laughs> should add a clause to the U.S. COVID-19 relief bill to add in $1,200 of Lego bricks per person so that we can help pass the time during the quarantine crisis? What do you think? I was not prepared to answer this question. I know nothing about Lego. I'm surprised that you didn't jump all over it. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry, I, I'm getting there. I just wanted to hear. <laughs> okay. I, I needed to catch my breath first, but uh, so you've never used, you never play with Legos ever. I don't think no. I, I have never played with. I don't like the using the word. This is no shots, but the the verb play. It was was not even something I would associate with Lego. So. Um, Wait, what do you mean? It's like homework? It's just it was never something that I thought was fun or appealed to oh. my brain. I'm so sorry. So sorry. Man, Michael, how does it all? How does it feel to always be wrong? Like, is that <laughs> weird for you? <laughs> um, no, out of curiosity, what are you doing to pass the time? During, I know you're a very avid reader. What activities are you using to kind of get through this tough time? My wife and I are actually playing Scrabble. Um once a day against each other and it's gotten extremely heated and she Michael, is careful yeah. careful that scrabble could ruin a marriage i mean let's scrabble just be very is, honest oh man it is turbulent down the stretch um especially when you know when you're challenging words and the dictionary i mean it's i can't even speak about it right now because i'm losing in the tally here so um why don't we just move on but <laughs> does your does your wife cheat at scrabble be honest she does not. I, I no, know. She, her, I know her family listens to this and everything. She, but, you know, she, just call she, her out. She does not cheat. Uh, 
I have, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I cheat, um, but, you know, there are some situations where I'm just like, you know, I, I'll take my phone into the bathroom to try to see. No, Michael. Uh, yeah, I, I got to be on. I mean, when you're down, I, I was, she won three Michael. games in a row and it was getting really desperate. So, um, trust me, if you're, come, if you're going yeah. to the bathroom four times during every game, she knows what you're <laughs> up to in there. That's crazy, man. You can't be doing that. That's way against the rules. Um, I would just say this to the incredible email about the Legos. I have started to watch the Lego Masters show. Michael, I probably had 60 different Open Floor Globe members recommend that show to me. I'm I'm finally getting into it, and it is awesome, so I recommend it. You can watch it on the Fox app if you have it. It's a, a great way to pass the time. I will just say um, to the emailer, I did not have the ability to just free build. I have to follow the instructions. So your whole thing about trying to build something cool and having it not be as cool as the Lego Masters don't worry. I can't even go there. The whole point to me is to follow the mission step-by-step step all the way through. The satisfaction comes from the final result looking exactly like the instructions for me. Um, it is actually, yeah, that for whatever reason, that's that's what I uh, find to be uh, the, the beneficial part to it, other than the decompressing and getting off of screens, which I do definitely recommend to everybody uh, during this time as well. In terms of the price point, I will say that I bought one big Lego set and I'm milking it, Michael. I'm trying to make it last for the entire quarantine. So I'm basically savoring it, um, you know, kind of like slow roasting it, crock potting it, you know, just kind of week by week doing a little bit here and there. Uh, and then I'm I'm supplementing that with some fake Lego knockoffs, which I don't like necessarily, but many of them are national park related. I've bought them at various national park uh uh, you know, uh, camp stores, uh, and I've got Smokey the Bear, I've got Mount Rushmore, I've got, uh, you know, a, a volcano from Hawaii. So I'm doing those one by one. If you guys want to see my progress, I, I'm, I'm putting pictures of them up on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, so check them out there. But I certainly encourage everyone who's emailing in saying, hey, you guys have done a good job of, of helping us like stay balanced during this tough time period. Seek that balance in any way you can, whether it's the puzzles, whether it's reading, uh, whether it's Scrabble like Michael. I mean, certainly don't get too heated. You're trying to bring your stress down now. You're not trying to, to rise it, but try to get off your phone for at least a few hours every day. It will make a big difference. And the building stuff will give you a feeling of accomplishment. You can't control a lot about our current lifestyle, but one thing you can control is which brick you place where. And sometimes that uh, puts you right back on the right track. All right, Michael, we've come to the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. Go ahead and you know send him some nice notes. Tell him what a great job he's doing on the podcast. Tell him that he's a cheater at Scrabble and you're on his team, his <laughs> wife's team uh, and everything else. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver. On Twitter at BenGolver. Find my Washington Post newsletter. This week I broke down who had the better Hall of Fame class, Michael Jordan in 2009 or Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan in 2020. It's a pretty rich debate, so check that one out. Hey, Michael, until later this week when we're going to dive into a whole nother batch of Open Floor Globe questions, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben.